Put a hand on your heart. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your leadership. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are very much in this place, and that you're moving and touching people's lives today. And uh, so, Lord, I am asking now, Holy Spirit, would you do a work that reveals Christ in a way, Lord, that, that we understand and we know and we're transformed by the revelation of who he is? And then, Lord, I'm also asking that you would release wisdom to us, Lord, that we might live out that transformation to impact the world around us. God, thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, there's three guys. This is not the beginning of a joke. Don't look for a punchline, okay? <laughs> there's three guys who are working on a wall, okay? And uh, they're laying bricks, and they're all in a row, and uh, a... a, a person walking down the street sees them and approaches the first guy and says, hey, what you doing? And the guy says, I'm, I'm laying bricks. What does it look like I'm doing? Right? And uh, the stranger says, all right. Moves on to the next person. See, they're all laying bricks. It's nothing different for what they're doing. The next, next guy says, hey, what you doing? He says, I'm building a building. This is one of what will be many walls. You know, it's a large building. Oh, that's amazing. Moves on to the third person. Says, excuse me, what are you guys doing here? The third man says, oh, we are constructing a cathedral that will give worship to God and impact the nations as we you know, put up this building. It represents heaven's involvement with man and people's lives are going to be impacted for eternity. They're all laying bricks. They're all doing task after task that seemingly feels disconnected from the reality that that third person spoke. But how many know that perspective changes everything? That first guy, he's laying bricks. He's getting paid, you know, hey, it's a job. But his heart's involvement with the task and the life that it gives him Far less impactful than the third one who is building a grand cathedral that will represent God to people and impact the nations. They're all doing the exact same task, but one has his heart connected in a perspective of greater purpose. The vision that that third person is seeing is giving purpose and a divine energy to the labor at hand. It's all the same task. It could feel meaningless, but oh, it doesn't have to. It's all based on perspective. Can you see the impact of your life? Do you see the impact? See, can I tell you that the job that you perform or the function that you have in relationships, the, the meaningless activities that take place in the mundane of life, they feel disconnected and they may not feel powerful, but if you carry the right perspective, those activities that seem like they're just mundane activities have the power to transform life if you can connect your heart to the vision of it. Uh, this story, um, John Paul Jackson shared it, and uh, I'll repeat it for you. Um, he had this vision. He's, praying and saw this woman, and she's approaching a cash register. She's in a store. It doesn't really matter what store it is. And walking up to the cash register, and, and from his perspective of the vision, he can see and ex experiencing her internal perspective. And so she's walking up, and she's carrying a candle of light. And that candle, of, you know, it, it's the light of heaven in her, and her perspective is that she is... You know, she's shining her light, but it doesn't feel like it's this big, massive thing. She is a homemaker. She raises her kids. She, the extent of her actions and her, you know, her daily routine doesn't feel big and meaningful in terms of its impact on the world. But 
So her perspective is that she's carrying a candle and she walks up to the register and she says hello to the, you know, the person behind the, the cash register and they do their exchange and she goes on her little way, feeling like, oh man, you know, this is my little part. I was kind to a person today. She feels good about herself. And then the gear shifts and he begins, the, the, John Paul Jackson begins to see this vision not from her perspective, but from the spiritual realm's perspective looking at her. And there she is walking up to the cash register like a giant lighthouse of light. Impacting, sweeping light that is so penetrating because the life of heaven in her is flowing out and impacting and touching and casting off shadow off of everything that the light touches. And she walks up to the cash register and she says, hello, how are you today? And it's the same experience. Only this time when she says, hello, how are you doing? The demon on the person behind the cash register shrieks and boom, gets sent out of the store as the light of heaven pierces through her. And that woman gets totally touched by the kindness and the light of heaven. She experiences a deliverance from what that person was carrying. Come on, it's perspective. If we're just a bystander and we're watching this thing happen, it looks like the exact same experience. There's no, like, it's just the mundane of life. But, oh, buddy, if you could just see the real impact of your life. It matters how you perceive yourself, and it matters how you view sort of your journey. It matters the perspective that you carry. And sometimes we need an aerial view of our journey in order to get a sense of where we're at and maybe next steps, how to proceed, all that kind of stuff. And I really believe today that this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. I think he wants to shine a light in your heart. I think he wants to give you perspective. I think he wants to help us to shift gears and to keep moving forward and to not get stuck any longer but let's uh, throw this thing into high gear and get our lives moving forward. Amen? Okay. I'm going to share three different points of transition from the story of the nation of Israel. We're going to look at their journey. And uh, in their journey, you're going to see a prophetic sort of archetype, a, a prophetic picture of what also takes place in the life of a believer. Now, because it's the nation of Israel, we have hindsight, 2020, we're able to look and to see their journey and understand the impact of their journey more fully because it happened in history and it's all written there. And so as we look at that, you'll have the vantage point of history while they would have been living it out of their own eyes in that moment. And so what I want you to do is I want you to try to try it on a little bit. Put yourself in their position and then also see the great impact of these moments of transition in their journey. Amen? Okay. If you got a Bible, we're going to go to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, and we're going to start in verse 12. Genesis 15 and verse 12. Amen. You do it. This is Abram's experience with God as God is giving him a covenant and telling him the prophetic future, the prophetic promise of his people, what's going to happen in the years following him. Okay, Abram's connected to the Lord. He has experienced so many amazing things. We've talked about them, several, several of them over the last couple of weeks here. But this moment is a transformational moment. This is a moment of covenant where God is cutting a covenant with Abram and Abram's future is forever going to be changed transformational moment. Let's look at it. Verse 12, chapter 15, verse 12. The sun was going down and a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. Don't tell me the fear of the Lord isn't real. God said to Abram, know this for certain. Your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterwards, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. 
You'll be buried at a good old age. Then, in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. How's that for a prophetic word? I mean, come on, you come up front afterwards. <laughs> we pray for you. Like, yeah, I got a headache. Would you pray for my headache? Sure, we're going to pray for your headache. And then this prophetic word comes out Your descendants. The promise that Abram had received from the Lord was that all the land's going to belong to them. His descendants, as many as the stars of the heavens. In the covenant process with God to Abram, he says to him, listen, this is what's going to take place. And you probably should know that this is going to take place because it's not an easy process to walk through the promise that belongs to multiple generations you got to see the end from the beginning. You can't just, like, we get, we, get, we get upset when, like, we pray for something and, you know, like a week later it hasn't been answered. This promise came to Abram concerning his descendants, and it's 400 years of slavery before it comes to pass. That's a little bit of some tension there, wouldn't you think? This promise, I want you to see something, that they're going to possess the land. There's multiple layers to this. We'll talk through some of them. But they're going to possess the land, the promise of God, the prophetic promise, and they are unable to fulfill it themselves. They don't even have access to fulfill it. In fact, God gives them the promise and then locks it away for 400 years. Do you know that sometimes your prophetic words, sometimes the promises of God, have nothing to do with your process. Sometimes it's timing. Sometimes it's not just about you. Okay, repeat this after me, right? It's not always about me. Okay, this is about future generations. This is about what God's doing in a land. This is about way more than just him and his family. There's a lot more at play here. Amen? Several things happen while Israel is enslaved in Egypt. You know, we were told the story uh, the last several weeks about how they get into slavery. But here they are. They're enslaved in Egypt. Some things are taking place. The scripture says that in the fourth generation, that last verse there, right? In the fourth generation, they will return to the land of promise. For the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. What's that about? You have a people that are living in that land, and God says their time's not over with yet, so we're not going to judge them yet. I, I want to propose something to you. The Amorite, God loves them. God loves the Amorite. God is not waiting for them to sin enough so that he can put the hammer down. That's a wrong perspective. That's not how your father deals with people. God is giving time to the Amorite because their process is not yet complete. God's giving time for them to come into revelation. God's giving time for them to walk through their own processes. It says until the iniquity is complete. Iniquity is the willful decisions that lead you away from God's process and God's ways. And their culture had not yet come to a place where God had to judge them. So why would he judge them before that? Why wouldn't he give them time in their process? Aren't you glad that God gives you time in your process? Isn't it amazing that the promise of God was that Israel was going to possess this land, but somebody who also had some time left on their clock currently possessed it, and that God didn't just run them over and take it over, but that he actually lets them go through their process. That's an instructional word for how we should treat people. Just because you have a promise, just because you have a right, doesn't mean you should run over other people's processes to achieve it. Man, I could throw a party up here. Also, Israel is growing in numbers. Israel is growing in the number of people. In fact, had God moved them straight into their promise, they wouldn't have been able to possess it. 
They couldn't actually achieve what they were supposed to because they weren't strong enough yet. The land represents their money, their possession. The land represents their provision and what's going to come of it, right? Can I tell you that even if God was going to drop, let's say God's going to drop a million dollars on your bank account. Some of you are holding promises of God's provision and you're like praying, oh Lord, like, like a lottery, oh God, please. But if we sat down with your checkbook, it's not even balanced. You're not strong enough to even steward that. You wouldn't, even, you wouldn't even know what to do if I dropped 10 G's on you, much less a million bucks. Because the stewardship of the land was not able to be stewarded yet because they had not grown in number yet. Now hear me, look at what's happening. The people are in slavery and God is using this time of absolute, they, are, they have no will, they have no ability to express themselves. But this is the time period where God is allowing another group of people to go through their own process and he's using this time period to increase them in number. All of it is leading towards promise and none of it is comfortable and none of it feels socially acceptable. Now, I'm going to preach a sermon today and there are a whole bunch of things I'm saying without saying and you should hear them. And feel free to draw your own conclusions. But there's a lot more going on. Whew, here we go. Perhaps you're praying and you're waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled, and maybe it has nothing to do with you that it's delayed. Maybe you're waiting on somebody else. God's will and his ways has to do with not just timing, but that all the parties involved get to participate. Right? Like it's, it's family day and our family's going to go on an adventure. We're going to go have some fun, right? We're all excited about it. And one of my children decides to change their clothes last minute. Everybody else is up in the car. What, does, what do I as a dad do? Oh, they weren't ready. We're leaving without them. <laughs> I know you're three, but it doesn't matter. No, a good father, a good father has foresight and insight to delay the process so that everybody can participate. Guys, you don't, there are so many things happening in our culture right now. God is at work. He's at work and you can trust him for real. So much there. All right, we got to keep moving. So much. Here we go. Exodus 14. Look at this. This is an amazing situation. So they're in slavery, and they are growing in numbers and strength and going to be able now to steward the promise. Okay? But they have a whole bunch of issues going on inside of them internally. 400 years of slavery leaves you without much internal structure. Right? You've been dominated for 400 years. Now what comes out of you now is not going to be a healthy society Okay, and so this situation, it's a little bit, it's, it's kind of weird because God raises up this deliverer and it's this amazing expression of God's presence and his mercy and he delivers and he judges the Egyptians. He judges the gods that have been lording it over them. He brings a judgment to them, a quickening and boom, now they're going to be liberated and they're going towards promise. This is Exodus 14. And verse, starting in verse 10, I got to read this one for you, okay? This is their exit out of slavery. Israel had been brought out to the wilderness, and they're heading towards the Red Sea, and Pharaoh decided that he wants them back, okay? As Pharaoh drew near, and the sons of Israel looked, behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord, and they said to Moses, it's, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we can serve the Egyptians? Wouldn't it have been better for us just to serve the Egyptians than to come out here and die? 
Verse 13, but Moses said to the people, don't fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. The Egyptians whom you have seen today, you'll never see them again. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. That's the Bible's way of saying, shut up (laughs) and just do what I'm telling you to do right now, okay? (laughs) Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to move forward. There's an ocean there. There's an army behind them. Move forward. As for you, you lift up your staff, stretch it out over your hand over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel will go through the midst of the dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and his army, through the chariots and the horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through the Pharaoh and through his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God, who has been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them in a pillar of cloud before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was a great cloud with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. So God's presence moved in between the army of Egypt and the Israelites to protect them. Verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry ground. So the waters were divided, and the sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Man, I want to see that one. Anybody else? The Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all of Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and brought the army of Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive their driving difficult. So the Egyptians said, let's flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting for them and against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters would come back over the Egyptians and over the chariots and over their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, returned it to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. The Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone out into the sea after them, not one of them remained. The sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their left and on their right. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Because if you had any doubt before this moment, you're going to believe Moses now. The Red Sea was a baptism. It is a prophetic type of baptism. God took Israel out of slavery through a baptism into liberty. This is exactly what happens to you in Christ. Jesus deals with the enemy, deals with the debt, loots the enemy's camp, makes you loaded, Right? And through the waters of baptism, being baptized into his name, you go under the water, are identified supernaturally with death. Your old sinful nature stays in the grave. And when you come out of the water, you have been liberated from the yoke of slavery to sin. God went ahead and baptized Israel out of slavery, but into what? And this is an important question. Into what? Was it into the promise? No. It was into absolute dependence. There is a transition here. There's a transition here, and you got to see it because God takes you through it as well. The Lord baptizes Israel, and they come out of slavery, but into the wilderness where there's no water, there's no food. I mean, there's a million of them 
and they have no internal social structures. Like, have you ever been in a mosh pit? Imagine it a million strong, and that's just Israel coming out of slavery. There's no internal, there's no culture of structure that they can depend on in order to govern their society. It doesn't exist. None of them know. 400 years of slavery. It's not in any of them, except for one man. Who? It's not a trick question. Moses. <laughs> and Moses was raised in Pharaoh's household. Okay. I want you to imagine this. Put yourself in this position. How many things do you have to learn before you can steward promise? If we just drop you straight in the promised land and you have access to all of the promises, right? Carte blanche. No, no help. What's going to happen to you? If you're, what's the percentage of people who win the lottery going bankrupt? Does anybody know? It's 100%. I'm sure somebody made it somewhere. But those big lottery winners ruin their lives. Why? Because the internal structure to steward was not there. In other words, God's going to have to disciple these people through some things before they can steward. And this is what takes place when the, la the Lord saves you and he sets you in a place of discipleship. There's a process of you growing in the Lord. He takes you and he baptizes you into liberty, but it's into dependence on him. Think about this. Look at what happens, okay? They have no access to food or water, so what's God do? They're totally vulnerable. They need God's assistance in every way. So the Lord goes ahead and he cracks open a rock, which follows them around the wilderness, by the way, Hebrew says. And that rock is Jesus, and everywhere they go, water flows, okay? God gives them water, but every day they get up, and what's there on the ground? Manna, bread. They get up every day, and they eat bread. Every night, the ground's covered with meat. They have the ability to kill and eat, right? They, they, they have this food that's provided. It's literally like, like DoorDash every day. Like God just straight up out their, go, out their tent. Boom, there it is. On the ground, there's the food, okay? So they, they go, right? And, and every day they get up and they eat it. Now, what happens when, when, when they take too much and they try to save it and hoard it for the next day? It rots. The scripture says maggots start filling it. It's like totally gross, like really gross, right? And what's God teaching them in this process? See, have you ever heard a story, or maybe you've experienced this yourself, but it's tragic, but when a child is adopted out of a neglectful situation, like abusive situation, where there is not food security. See, a child who comes in now into a home that has plenty, the stories go like this. They sit down for their first meal, and the kid will start to stash food in pockets, They'll start to look for ways to hoard the food and they'll eat as much as they can. Why? Because they're not sure when the next meal is coming. They don't have food security and so they're trying to stuff their faces. What do you think happens to Israel after being a slave for 400 years? It's the same thing, but what's God doing? What's he delivering them out of? He's taking them out of a poverty mindset. They are being delivered out of a poverty mindset unto so they can steward promise later, but there's a process here. And so each day, God is discipling them and teaching them and helping them to build the internal structure of dependence on him. God's healing them. Culturally, Israel has been raised under the domination of slavery. Okay, 400 years of it. I imagine that puts something sort of in your DNA process. They have no knowledge of government. They don't have an understanding to establish social norms outside of a slavery mindset. There's a million of them. So God's going to need to establish some structure for them to be able to steward the land. So God gives them 10 simple rules. Right? He gives them the law. 
And the law is this way of them learning God's ways. A structure and able to live in a way that's understanding towards one another and understanding towards God. And in the midst of that, God gives Moses some wisdom how to break down the large group into simple structures so that there can be a form and a system of justice. Listen to me carefully. Israel, they have the law. It's the truth. It's God's laws. You know, this, it's clear. There's 10 of them, right? And then there's this interpretation of the law. There's a process there. But people keep messing up, and so they're standing in line all day to wait for Moses to get an answer to their problems. Because when there's something, when, when they have a question about the law or someone violates somebody else, they're looking for justice. This is the process. And so God gives Moses wisdom through his father-in-law Set men over thousands and over hundreds and over fifties and over tens so that the simple questions can have an answer and if it is too complicated or is an issue, then they can come to you and you will represent me to the people. So there is a clear system of justice and there is a clear system of the ability to figure culture out. And God's got to do this before they go into their promise. Why? Because if they get in the promised land and they don't have this in their hearts, what's going to happen? But they blow up their own neighborhoods. But they injure themselves. The Israelites needed law and order, so God gave it to them and helped them, enabled them, and then gave them time. Generations, in fact. 40 years of presence and time in the wilderness. Every time they need leadership, what happens? It says that, I'll just read this one for you. This is Exodus 40. The cloud of God's presence led them throughout their journey. This is verse 34. Exodus 40, verse 34. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, God's presence, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out, but if the cloud was not taken up, they would settle in. Throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel. Everybody say, all the house of Israel. Okay, so when the people saw God's presence, they knew they're supposed to hang out. And when they saw God's presence lift up, they knew they were moving. They had leadership in God's presence. It was God's presence that provided leadership for all the people. Everyone got to see the presence and everyone got to interpret what we're supposed to do next based on the presence. Are you alive? I mean, doesn't that sound great? Doesn't that sound, that sounds amazing, doesn't it? Okay, Israel is being led by a theocratic leader named Moses. Like the government is resting on him and then there's this sub-governments all through it and the government is being facilitated by presence. Woo! I mean, it sounds like heaven on earth. How wonderful would that be? Wouldn't it be great if we could just have God's cloud come upon the White House? There's a pillar of fire by nine, cloud by day, and everybody could see the presence of the Lord, and everybody knew and could interpret leadership based on what they see and the manifestation of God's presence. Wouldn't that be amazing? Okay, I am tricking you right now. Okay, I'm digging a big hole And I'm tricking you to fall in it. I'm telling you this because I don't want you mad at me two minutes from now. (laughs) They're in the wilderness, not in the promised land. See, the manifested presence where everybody gets to weigh in on what we're supposed to be doing, everybody gets to have their own self-government based on what they are experiencing in the manifested presence. Y'all, that was training that wasn't maturity, that was training. This is how the Lord trains you, but this isn't the, multi, this isn't the end goal. 
It's not the end goal. No, the end goal happens in the transition. Look at this. Okay? Like I said, don't be mad at me. But everything they are experiencing in the wilderness, all of it, all that, those, those learning experiences, see, they could go into the promised land as soon as they're ready. They could have moved right in right away. But their internal structure did not match belief in the Lord. So 40 years they're going to spend in the wilderness. A whole generation learning the lessons so that when it came time, they would be ready. And this is Joshua 1. Joshua 1, verse 11. Whoo, man, I'm ready for this one. Here we go. Entering the promised land, fulfilling God's calling on your life. You ready for this? God baptized you into Christ Jesus and the yoke of slavery came off of you and you entered into dependence. And in that dependence, and that connectedness with the Lord, he provides for you. He is your, your protection. He is the one who is warming you by night and cooling you by day. He is the one leading you with his presence. All of this, he's training you and discipling you in his ways. All of this is in preparation for fulfillment and promise as a mature son stewarding his kingdom. Joshua 1, it came about after the death of Moses. Everyone say the death of Moses. Okay? It's a whole other generation. The servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, and he said, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise and cross this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land in which I am giving them to the sons of Israel. Every place on which your sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then Joshua commanded the officers of the people saying, pass through the midst of the camp, command the people saying this, prepare provisions for yourselves for within three days you are to cross this Jordan to go in and possess the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess. They're baptized into dependence and they're about to go through a river baptism into promise. The Red Sea baptism very much is a prophetic picture of what Christ has provided for us in the removal of our sinful nature and being slave to sin. And the Jordan River represents dying to self and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to step into promise. Two baptisms very clearly displayed. Did you notice what Joshua said to the people right before they enter into promise? All right. You need to make provisions for yourself because we're about to cross over. This is a major transition. Like, it's major. They've been having Grubhub every day. And it's about to be done. Like, done. So where's their provision coming from? 
Where's the provision coming? Is it going to come through the miraculous? Or are they going to have to make provision for themselves? They're going to make provision. They're going to have to go to war to take possession of the land. They're going to have to sow crops. They're going to have to raise cattle. They're going to have to take cities. They have to go to war to get their provision. Man, I thought when I came to Jesus, I was done working. I thought I'd just write a letter to supporters and they send me money. I thought that my destiny in God was that God provides for me supernaturally. Oh, my friends. Isn't it amazing? Look, look at what God does here. Look at this, okay? We work to provide for ourselves, right? To be self-sufficient. Like, this is the world. And then we meet Jesus. And suddenly the Lord starts asking us to trust him to provide for us. He takes us through a journey where we're unable to provide for ourselves in moments, and then he supernaturally steps in. It's amazing. And as you mature and grow in your trust for the Lord, then he begins to back away and ask you to take steps towards your destiny. And one of the ways that he draws you into maturity is to have you have to put your hand to things. And the end result is this that we are fully trusting in the Lord for our provision, but understand that you and I have a role to play in the creation of wealth and provision for ourselves and the world around us. And this is done through his supernatural power as we work. Like the life cycle. Stepping into promise doesn't mean ease. It's kind of the opposite, actually. It means empowerment to do something. Where did leadership move? Look at this. Pillar by day, fire by night. Everybody's led by the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Woo! Right? The pillar went away in maturity. Where'd the pillar go? Where'd the leadership go? It went into Joshua. It went into established authorities in people and in systems. Now, this one might be hard, but the scripture says that every authority is established by the Lord. That the Lord actually brings and it manifests through people, through authorities. So if you find yourself bumping into an authority that says, hey, you shouldn't do that. But you are saying to yourself, wait a second, I only follow the presence of the Lord. The manifestation of the Spirit is our leader, and so who are you to say I hope you understand that you're actually bumping into your own, like you're bumping into your own stuff and you're actually standing in the way from stepping into promise, right? Like your rebellion to authority is manifesting in a way that seems spiritual, but it's, it's actually just really gross. Hmm. And, and I wish it wasn't so, but man, how many of Israel's kings actually didn't end up great leaders. And God still required the Israelites to submit. So what ends up happening often is that the Lord, like the Lord's a great leader. He's a great leader and people are humans, right? But I can tell you, experience for sure myself, and I'm sure you have stories where the Lord will show up in some, an authority that feels like, oh, it's standing in the way of God's promise, but actually it's the Lord testing your heart to see if you're even ready to move forward. Mm. Uh, listen, I mean, okay, with the presence like that, just hear me out for a second. When you have the manifested presence like that and then Moses says for you to do something, like, if you ignore that, like, man... Like, ask Korah and his family and everyone who followed that, how'd that turn out? Like, the ground opened up and swallowed them. That's no good. 
Okay, but how does it look? How, do, how does it look when it's not that extreme of a manifestation? See, it shifts gears, I think, out of mercy, because people struggle sometimes. Like, it's God's mercy that, you, that he put authorities in your life. Like, to slow you down, because you'll wreck yourself. Where's the protection? Presence of the Lord manifests between them and Egypt. This is my last point, no worry. Some of you are like, I'm ready to be out of this thing. That's why worship was so good, right? So you get drunk, you, you, get, you get a little dose of the Holy Ghost to begin with, so you're all feeling good, and then. <laughs> okay, where's the protection? Because the presence of God stood between them and the Egyptian army that's coming to destroy them, or the enemy, right? Is coming to destroy them. Where's the protection now? The protection is on the battlefront. Like literally on the edge of battle is where the safest place in Israel is at this point. Because God said, no enemy will stand before you. Like you got to be going forward and you'll be in God's protection. Right? When David, King David hangs back and he's like, ah, I don't feel like going to war today. That's when he ends up with Bathsheba and some problems take place. Right? Like you want, where's the safest place to be? Wherever God is moving. That's where you should be. That's where your protection is, following the presence in that place, walking in obedience, going after this together. It's not a solo sport, okay? The truth is this, and I'll read these statements, and, and we'll, we'll pray for a massive deliverance. It'll be awesome. Here we go. The truth is this, okay, that Jesus has provided all of this for you, and in your salvation and baptism, all of it is accessible. You don't have generations of time that you're waiting for. You don't have 400 more years, and then you can go into promise. That's not how it works. In Christ, all of it is accessible. However, your partnership, your submission, your choice to let go, frankly, and trust the Lord, all of these things are standing in the way of you moving into promise. It's dependent on you. You're a part of this process. It's called discipleship, sanctification, walking with the Lord. When you're baptized into Jesus, you are set free from the sinful nature. Can I get an amen up in here? Okay, there is no process to your freedom in Christ. It is immediate and it is final. Okay, Christians who end up in addiction or in those kind of things is because they resubmitted themselves to a yoke of slavery. Don't do that. Okay, you are free in Christ. It is final. It is real. Okay, when you got baptized, your sinful nature got done, gone away with. Don't believe the lie that you're still struggling with you. You're not struggling with you. Okay, you might have, you know, some, you got to learn some lessons just like Israel, but man... It's not that you have a sinful nature like that anymore. God has given you his Holy Spirit. The law of love was placed on the inside of you. So you are not looking to a list of external rules to obey, but rather you are listening to the Holy Spirit and you are choosing to subject yourself. Choosing to subject yourself. Allowing the Father's love for people to rise up within you and govern your choices. God's provision in your life is sure. You can trust that he will provide. This provision is directly connected to following his leadership. And his leadership often is demonstrated through people, even ungodly ones. This means that you and I get to learn how to discern the Lord's leadership even when it doesn't directly manifest to you. Sometimes you get to trust leaders even though you don't feel like it. Your calling and your purpose in life is waiting for you to get going. The Holy Spirit will lead you, yes, but he has already told you what to do. It's already in there. And if you know his will, then there's no need to delay. Many Christians wait, expecting a manifestation to tell them whether it's okay to move forward or not. Many people wait like that. But you have a green light. In fact, 
Your life will go so much better if you'll just assume this, okay? Repeat after me. I have all green lights. And if I ever get off track, God will give me a red light. Okay? You, and it'll be obvious. It'll be obvious. Your stuff will be going. It'll be awesome. Woo! Everything's going. And then, whoa, nothing's working. What just happened? Like, green light. Go for it. Run after God. In submission to one another, loving one another, paying attention to law, like, be cognizant of the world you live in. But man, there's nothing preventing you from advancing the kingdom. It's all green lights. Unless he gives you a red, and then it will be obvious. Trust me, he knows how to get a hold of you. He knows. Knows how to get a hold of you. Okay? If an authority figure asks you, you need to go ding, ding, ding. I need to make sure that if that's the Lord through a person. You understand? Conclusion is this. The Lord has each one of us on a journey. Each one. You're on a journey. All of this stuff is your process. It's a prophetic picture, snapshot of our process in the Lord. But God has such amazing purpose in your life. Don't see brick by brick. See the cathedral that glorifies the Lord in everything that you do. See the, see the submission to authority as building a cathedral for the Lord. See following his provision and trusting him as being a part of the bigger thing. His kingdom is advancing everywhere we go. He's going to do it through your life and family. We just have to say yes. You alive? Why don't you jump to your feet? You guys did great. Good job. Pat somebody on the back and say, hey, you did good today. Good job. All right. <laughs> Lord, thank you. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would speak and you would blow on specific things and you would help, Lord, to sort out all that stuff inside of each one. God, that you'd be clear and you'd bring leadership to their hearts. I thank you for that. Now, Lord, I bless your people. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord's favor be on your life. May he be gracious to you and grant you peace. And everyone who dared to agree with that said, amen. Come on, can we give a good clap to the Lord today?